0: Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. You thought we rearranged the chairs because Carol Tonys is having a big shindig, didn't you? But no, we rearranged them so you could get a better glimpse at the Ferrers married 29 years today. Congratulations. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Uh, it's nice to see Aldi. It's a big day. Music was great, thanks to Chuck and the choir. That was fun, wasn't it? So, I mean, that was a lot of... A lot of... Uh, a lot, a lot of stuff going on today, but it was very, very nice, uh, very happy, and uh, Bukes was great, and uh, just, it's just, life's good, so, all right, we're in a couple of weeks after Easter already, I've got to retranslate the old Latin names here on the fly, all right, here we go, Lord God, Heavenly Father, your Son has promised us his Holy Spirit to show us how to praise, not just here on earth in weakness, but someday. In power and glory on the day when united with the choir of angels, we see you all face to face. Through Christ our Lord, your Son, we pray. Amen. Okay, everybody good? Uh, thanks for coming back after last week. Uh, just endure the seating. We'll have to, we'll work it out. It'll all be back to normal. I mean, we who, who would have thought the afternoon circle could uh, be so, you know, I mean, you know, a big stick, right? I mean, pay attention to the afternoon circle. They're great. <laughs> We thought they'd sell 200 tickets. Not even they did. So, uh, you know, here we go. It's fantastic. Um, all right. Sort of a new start now, uh, or a, a kind of a different, a different story at least. This notion of people of ours. Oh yeah, where are we giving money this week, young Hopkins? Did they tell you? Anybody tell you? <laughs> no, that's all right. What do you want to do? Grace School's a fine place to send money. That's great. Okay, Grace School it is. So, um, yeah, it's just so nice. All right, so we'll, do, we'll send a little bit to Grace School. They can always use a little extra money. That's nice. Okay, so, um, you know, I, wanna, I want you to think a little bit about uh, people you know who wander. And so I was struck again. You know, it's funny how uh, all the things you think about. I, was, I can't even remember where this was. I was talking to somebody about the, all the things that run through the head when you're in church and I have the same thing you know I'm thinking about things are all the time you know because everything is connected to everything else for me but I don't know if you know I often think um, I often have two thoughts at, at the at the Lord's Supper point this this pregnant phrase um, gather us together we pray from the ends of um, the earth I always think of one of two things there I think denominationally I kind of think you know the church is meant to be one and you know, it would be great to have everybody gathered back together as one here on earth. It likely won't happen. We're, we're too stubborn and we can ruin almost anything. But nevertheless, we pray and work toward it. And, and everything in life is kind of a push and a pull. Uh, and in this life, you know, we're not going to see everything put back together. But we can we can always do better, right? And we're going we're gonna to have to talk about that. Because I have, and I, I'll, I'll try to go to this in the future. I have thought about, I think, um, for some of you now, you've tried to be... Less judgmental and more kind, and I think it's Sometimes you've been surprised if I kind of listened to you, you've been surprised that um, it wasn't always well received, you know. And so, um, you know, that's where the whole Sermon on the Mount thing about turning the other cheek and um, doing good to those who do evil, you know, and loving people who hate you—all that stuff does come to reality so often in our own lives. So I've tried to encourage you, you know, now this this entire term since last fall. I've tried to encourage you for you to be kind, for you to be non-judgmental, for you to be gracious, for you to be welcoming. And then often you find when you do that, um, love is not always returned for love. It doesn't make any difference, right? To to, to make make a difference would be under the law. Under the gospel, you love um, because God loves you. And so I often have two thoughts. I think denominationally, that's probably the tamer thing. But I regularly have thoughts running through my head at the altar of people who uh, have wandered away it, you know, in my own family, among my friends, acquaintances I've had, people I've lost touch with, your people who you talk to me about. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth. What you're praying for is that everybody would be pulled back to the altar, and the altar would be that which we orbited around, because the altar is Christ, right? There he is, his body and blood. It was very clear in the sermon today, and you, you don't judge by appearances. We judge by how God speaks. It's a great Lutheran thing. Luther, God speaks realities, so He speaks His body and blood onto the altar, and then onto your tongue. So you know, I often, I often think of that. And I, and I know, um, you know, we, we sort of began by we sort of began at the farthest edge of people who might be very angry at the church or people who find the church very judgmental. But as you know, some of the greatest hostility and perhaps uh, firmest judgments can be made at any family reunion, right? Um, so, you know, who comes to weddings and funerals and who doesn't? And when they come, you know, sort of what happens, my old advice to everybody at wedding and funeral point is everybody remembers everything that's said at a wedding and a funeral. So it's often good just to keep your mouth shut at those particular things. It is your, your, mother's, your mother's advice about if you can't say something nice, don't say anything, is perfect for a wedding and a funeral. I'm just saying, okay, because people always remember. And then you had this um, brilliant little thing. Uh, From Catherine of Siena, you know, and this is just this is just really great stuff It's this opening margin card the good gentle Jesus love big L. So his name is love You know dies of thirst and hunger for our salvation. So I mean here's the thing he loves he loves us to the point That it kills them. It's quite remarkable stuff. It's not sort of this is how Jesus cares for wanderers I beg you for love of Christ crucified to keep your eyes on the hunger of this lamb. So the image of Christ and your example is in Christ. And it's not how other people act. and It's not how the world suggests it's important. It's very, this very interesting phenomenon. There's been a lot written in the last month or so uh, about lying in politics, but in a different, in a new way where it talks about how, this, you can test this theory if you want, that Americans respect people who lie really well because they think of them as clever and is powerful. So I think I told you this probably two or three years ago there was a study done on children about what to do when your children lies. You know there's some parental advice like don't engage the liar, don't say you're lying aren't you? You say I know you're lying and here it goes. But there was also this article about kids when they begin to lie you should congratulate yourself because it shows the confidence um, to, uh, to, to exert a truth and even to create one, right? So congratulations your child is both creative and brilliant when he begins to lie. It's, it's wonderful, really, congratulate. Well, what's interesting is three years later, that apparently is translated into politics where people look right into the camera and they lie to you and you know they're lying to you and yet you embrace them because you like people who can tell a good story and get away with it, right? So, I mean, this just, is just very, very interesting. That is so demonic. It is so anti-Christ, Right? And yet, you know, one of the marks of a crumbling society is when, when, when vices are raised up as virtues. So, you know, and, but here's the thing. You're not tied to this society you're, or to the world in general. You're tied to the altar. So this, this very basic prayer, which people in generations have suffered much more than we have. You know, Catherine says, you know, bend us into your image. I have no doubt that if you turn your understanding side to look at yourself and realize that you're not, you will discover with what blazing love your being has been given to you. So if you pay attention to your life, you'll understand that God loves you. I tell you, your heart and affection will not be able to keep from exploding for love. Love begets love. Abuse begets be- abuse. Love begets love, right? Like finds like. It's always interesting in a parish. You, people, like finds like in any parish. It's an amazing thing for pastors to watch. You can, you can watch it happen, um, because like finds like, simpatico, right? You, you see it, people. Selfishness will not be able to live there. So in you, if you're if you're formed by love, selfishness can't live there. So now you're always thinking about the other. So you come to people, you love them, you're patient with them, you're kind to them, you listen to them, you empathize, you're sensitive to what they struggle with. Even if you don't agree with them, you recognize that human beings in pain, are. It's not a it's not a good thing. It's a thing to be left behind. You will seek advantage not for your own sake, for your own advantage, but for God's honor. At the end of the day, why do you love other people? Simply because God asks you to. And if you call yourself a Christian, you honor God by doing what God asks you to do. Because that's not the law, that's just the fact of the matter. That's beyond the law and the gospel, that's Eden. There is no law and gospel in Eden. There's just God and his character and his words, which reflect his character. And God is love, so your love too. This is such you know basic sort of stuff. For you will see that God loves people above all else and this is why God's servants love other people so because they see that the Creator loves them above all else. God wants all his children home again. I love what the person I love loves. Right? So if God loves you, I mean, this is, that is the most genius thing. You, you actually don't get to decide who you love. You don't get to decide that. God decides whom you will love. God decides that. So if God decides that he loves other people and you believe in God and you call yourself a Christian, you love whom God loves. You love what God loves. God loves truth. God is truth. You love truth. God loves sinners. You don't get to decide which sinners you want to love or not. No, no. You love what God loves if you're part of the body of Christ. Because you're an extension of Christ's own nature of who Christ is, right? I love what the person I love loves. That's the nature of love. God's servants, I say, love not for their own sake. So nobody's asking you, right? Nobody's asking you, nobody's asking me who we're gonna love, who we're gonna have back. This, is, this goes right to sorting. It goes right to judgment. You don't get to decide who's in and who's out. God crisply decides who's in and out. He decides that by objective things like baptism and absolution and going to the Eucharist. God decides who's in and who's out. We just observe that. Love God, not for their... I say love them, God's servants. Love God, not for their own sake, but because God is supreme, eternal goodness and deserves to be loved. So we love God because he's good, because God is love, and we love other people simply because God loves them. You know, that's a remarkable thing, and I hope it, I hope it begins then. What, uh, we started at the farthest edge, which is loving people whom we defined as quite other or quite alien or quite unlovable. You know, the truth is we're all unlovable. So, you know, that's Heidelberg theses. you know, 1518, Luther. God looks around the room and he loves the unlovable. Okay. But now, sometimes the hardest people to love are our own family, our own friends, people who have betrayed us, you know, people who have left us, people we should love. They should love us, but, you know, somehow that's been broken. Our wanderers, you know, our kids move off, and, you know, what's become of them? And, you know, they marry people, and, you know, maybe that pulls in a different direction. You all have this. Everybody has this. We all have this. The question is, what does God do with people who seem to have been here once upon a time and then seem to have wandered away? So, you know, we've all got them, and, you know, why they leave? You know, sometimes people can tell you why they leave, but real honestly... People often don't tell the truth, especially when they're uncomfortable. And sometimes people don't know the truth. Sometimes it's just the hardest thing to know yourself and know why you do what you do. People are not tremendously reflective. There's some group of people who are terribly self-reflective, but many people just sort of bump through life and, you know, they just sort of carry on. But God calls us to a richer life in Christ. I mean, what God wants from us is a more reflective life in Christ because God is trying to get some work done through all of you. See, that's the point. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. God is trying to do work through you. He's trying to do work, right? He's trying to do his work. He's trying to do his work of love. He's trying to do his work of love toward the prodigals, toward the wanderers, whom you don't get to define. So you may not say who's in and out of outside God's love. You may not say who's inside and outside. And that goes exactly to judgment which is the thing we're trying to hold back, because it comes so easily, it's so natural, makes our life, you know what it does? It cuts down the population of people we have to care about, right, until you realize that them is us, right? We're all sinners, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you sort of re-, if you just take those very basic things that all of you know and you start to reconnect it, your life suddenly looks very different. All those walls about ins and outs start start to crash down. And then we begin to ask things about how it is between you and God rather than how it is between you and me. How it is between you and me is very important, but it is quite secondary to how it is between you and God. And if God says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That means you forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Even when they don't know what they're doing, you forgive them. And that, when you have that, then you have a church that is pressed into the image of God, even when that image is the image of the cross. It's one of the hardest things for pastors to learn is that when you, you sort of are pressed into the image of Christ, you get pressed into the cross. That was Jesus' life. Yes, there was resurrection, but real honestly, much of Jesus' life was suffering. There's also great fun, great friendships, people he loves, the push and pull of learning, back and forth, and there's also the resurrection. But the cross is really quite central to everything that happens to Jesus, and so the cross is going to be quite central in your own lives. Um, it's very interesting, the whole shift, how quickly things are shifting against Christians. It's going to be very, very interesting to kind of see what, what happens. Um, you know, we probably didn't curate the advantages that we had. And I don't know whether people can actually do that for a good long period of time. Uh, you know, one of the things about... One of the, one of the great sins of people is that we just can't pay attention, especially when we're comfortable. You know, pain focuses, death focuses... But really for us, one of the great sins is that blessing causes us to lose our focus. It's very, very difficult. And this is the whole riff on, you know, I've said this to you in different ways, managing success, I've talked about it that way, um, how to keep, you know, the things that have been given, tend and keep the garden. Adam is told, tend and keep the garden. The first priest, exactly the same Hebrew words are used, tend and keep the church. You know, pastors are meant to tend and keep. You have this long thing about how everybody asserts their rights in the church. Um, you know, long margin comment today when the truth is there are no rights in the church. There are no rights in the church. There's only gift and blessing. There's receiving the gifts that have been given or not. So, you know, every, all these things are connected. And But it's re, this is real time. We have to figure out how to live. And so we have to figure out how to live in love. We have to figure out how to live in love even when, you know, the tide is sort of rolling against us. You know, part of the reason it's our fault, the illusion that America was... A Christian nation for the last fifty or hundred or one hundred fifty years, two hundred years. Here's the thing: it was a civil nation, with a generalized notion of God that people often use to their advantage. But a Christian nation, really, honestly, it's very difficult to make that case. Um, you know, I, it's a whole other discussion. But really, you know, the chickens may be coming home to roost in this one, um, because what happened then is Christianity became justification, often for judgment rather than love. So it's, a, you know, how things work. You know, you push and you pull and, you know, the, the, you know there is a bit of karma in some, in some sense, uh, you know, of, you know, you reap what you sow. So, you know, and I would just be careful about overasserting you know, how right the church has been or how right America has been. You should just, just be a little careful with that. Um, you reap what you sow is probably a much more accurate, Description of what's happening to us. So um, now, here's the thing. What I, part of the reason, and I probably need to get to this in the future in a couple of weeks, hopefully I can get there, but um, the question for us will be, when the tables turn and we're no longer the majority, um, it would be very interesting to see how, not just if we can hold on, but how we hold on. Right? So it's just a matter of being able to hold on. It's how we go on. You know, Stephen martyrdom. The Greek word martyr is the word for witness. And he looked up and he beheld the glory of God. And Jesus at the right hand, right. And into my hands, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And and Jesus forgive them. They don't. They just are, uh, They just are, don't have a clue what they're up to. So all of this is of the same cloth. It just varies by intensity, right? All these things are of the same cloth. It just depends what the target looks like and what the situation is. It's all the same. It's how does one love? and live in kindness? How does one live in mercy and grace? How does one live as a martyr? All these things are of the same cloth. It just de- d- depends on the intensity. It depends on the environment. It depends on the response. It depends on the object. You know, what, what we're trying to do here is try to say, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus wants. Now, how in my own life do I live that out? And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thinking person's game. It takes some um, not only thoughtfulness but discipline and i think we'll see that in this very simple story of somebody who jesus loved dearly who sort of wandered mary magdalene okay so john 20 so um, you know why do people do it i mean i don't know At bukes and i was talking to bukes and nelson we were having some of the best uh, most fun theology gets done <clears> in the 6 minutes before we got for the morning eucharist you know and there was this vigorous discussion between bukes and nelson about how great it is that we can't read hearts like, I, would, I would hate to be able to read your hearts. Frankly, I know more about you than I care to know, okay? So unless you're going to come to a private confession, keep it to yourselves, okay, really. I mean, no, I mean, I, the thing is, is you can't tell, you can't tell. I mean, if you knew, ever, it would be such a burden if you could see, you know. I mean, I've often said, you remember Medusa, all the snakes are outside. You know Medusa from the Greek myth, all the snakes are, yeah, all my snakes go in. So, I mean, here's the thing. If you if you actually, you know, if you could see what was in my heart, and if I could see what was in your heart, ooh, it would be a hard day, right? It would, be, it would be a hard day to see all what you got going on in there. And believe me, if you could see what was going on in my heart, in my nasty little heart, you would, you would feel the same way. If we had to see in real time everything that was going on, oh, it would be a disaster, you know? Um, so, I mean, in some ways, that's a humbling thing. So that we wander is really quite quite remarkable. I, you know, I sort of wrote here, it would be like knowing the d- date of your own death. You know, sometimes people know the date, at least in general terms, and most people don't do very well with that. It's a remarkable when somebody dies well, when they know the date of their death and they die well. That's a remarkable, remarkable thing. You know, we don't do real well with an awful lot of information. So, um, you know, why people stray and, you know, we're fortunate that we can't always see why. Um, we, we have to sort of let all that go and circle back to the point where we say that Jesus loves his creation. Jesus loves his children. Jesus wants all his folks home again. Jesus loves his wanderers. Jesus loves his prodigals. And if he works through you, um, that's where we're going. So I'm at point number four, which is um, part, of what, part of the reason you're here is to get really good at this, right? You're trying to get really, really good at this because the best medicine... You know, the best medicine is targeted. All this new stuff with cancer therapy and DNA and attachments and how things work. The best medicine, is, it's, a, it's like, it's, a, it's preaching, it's love, it's teaching, it's everything. The best care is individualized, right? Not sort of scattershot, not sort of one-size-fits-all. Jesus loves you. There's one person like you in the whole history of the cosmos. And Jesus loves you individually in a way that is not the same as any other person that Jesus knows. So, you know, it's false for a parent to say, I love all my children equally. Or at least if if it's not false, it's naive or else twisted in some way. Because you can't love all your children equally because they're not equal. The best love is to love people individually, right? So when you get married, for example, you love your spouse in a way that you don't love anybody else. And they love you back because it's different, right? There's there's a different thing going on there. So this is the, probably the most important thing I want to say to you. It's two dots down on number four, which is the best love loves people the way they need to be loved, not the way that you want to love them. So you love others how they need to be loved, not the way that you want to love them. So often what the church does, often what we do, often what people do, we decide, you know, what kind of love somebody needs, and we love them in that way, right? Here's the thing. All that that's just a fake way to manipulate or bend people into the person you want them to be. That's, that's not love, right? We don't love people the way we want to love them. We love people the way they need to be loved. So the focus comes off ourselves in my love, how, you know, what do I want to accomplish here, to the other person, and how can I best prompt, nudge, shape, form Bless that person toward the Holy Eucharist, toward the image of Christ, toward the body and blood, toward saints, and you know, angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. This is just unbelievably important. I mean, you have to ask whether love that doesn't love people the way they need to be loved is really love at all. Love people the way they need to be loved, which is, you're going to love me differently than you're going to love my wife. We're two very different people. We need very different things. Your kids are very different. You love your kids individually, uniquely, the way they need to be loved. Some people need a little more press. Other people, if you touch them, you'll break them, right? You know, you look around at the people in the room. It's just, it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally, especially in a community where people are successful, where people are driven, where goals are set, when everybody's quite sure where they want to be, or they need to to act like they're sure where where they want to be, right? You know, these business studies where they do um, where people who are confident whether they know anything do better than people who know a lot and aren't confident. Or this famous TED Talk from this woman about physical body language, have you been reading this? It's like the most hit TED Talk for maybe ever, but for a really long time about how, you know, you, there's this new thing and all these, all these business folks. I mean, I've heard this on NPR. I've heard interviews on the radio. I've seen it in the Wall Street Journal. I've seen it in the New York Times. It's all the rage about this sort of almost meditative way that you prepare to walk into any room to dominate the situation that has much to do with projection and has very little to do with um, intelligence. This woman is terribly intelligent as well, but has it's just a very interesting, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just very interesting how this all fits together. Well, the point is, right, the point is to love people the way they need to be loved. And you're going to see that the way that Jesus comes to Mary Magdalene. And it's very different than Jesus has loved other people. We've seen Jesus love people all the way along. You know, that disciple who could have been number 13 that Pastor Nelson interestingly argues is the guy in the tomb in Mark's gospel who's waiting for Mary and says, you know, hey, man, he's not here. I mean, Pastor Nussle would argue very clearly, uh, cogently, you know, it's it's very interesting that it, that's not an angel. That's another appearance of another person who happens to be the guy who was number 13, who also fled naked from Gethsemane and now is wrapped up again in white and in the tomb. It's a very interesting idea. It doesn't say in, in Mark's gospel that it was an angel, right? So, I mean... In any case, you know, the best love is, the, 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 is love that loves others the way they need to be loved and not the way, you know, we want to love it. And that forces us then to pay attention to other people. So I'm a kind of at point five. It forces you to bring your eyes up and really sort of evaluate. Um, so let's just take this. You want to you play in real time? Let's just take this thing that's going to happen at noon i what I find so interesting about this is the 200 people are showing up So here's my so here's the thing Part, I think some of you really want to see you know Kirby's grandmother's dress from 1923 and hopefully we'll pray for her that the fabric will make it all the way through the walk Okay, <laughs> you can pray for my wife that you know it doesn't come apart like tissue paper. This would be hard for all of us Okay <laughs> But I also think there's a fair number of you, real honestly, you're just coming because you love people in that room, because you love those afternoon circle women, which I just find remarkable, remarkably good. In a, in a good no, I mean it in a good way. I mean, see, <laughs> see this is a problem with your dirty little hearts. You know, you could, turn, you could turn anything upside down. You can't see my heart. I know you can't see what's going on in there. No, I find this an amazing, amazing thing. I just, I just, I just think, I think, I think if, if you had to mark a box between, I want to see that 1523 dress, and I'm, I'm coming because I love Carol Tonys, I think Carol wins by a landslide, which is great, you see. I mean, I just spent, because you know why? Going to that thing is loving people the way they need to be loved. You're sharing in their past. You're validating their lives. You're interested in what they're interested in. You're there as their friends. And you bundle all of that together, and what happens then is that that, that sort of you know, sort of spider webs through the whole community. Because people feel, those, those women of the afternoon circle will feel like you really care about them. You are, I'm, I'm honest, you bought a ticket to love them the way they need to be loved. That's what's happening. Which is kind of a remarkable thing, okay? So, and that is such a positive, you know, that's such a positive thing that's happening. It's really, really good. So, point five: you got to pay attention. Then, you know, you got to love people. Um, you sort of check with people. You love people the way they need to be loved. Um, you sort of pay attention to history and context and and um, family units and circumstance and and how people's lives are going, and who's died, and and. and you know, who's alive and what the milestones are in their life and how many baptisms and what breaks apart. And real honestly, you can start to, you know, you're clever enough, you can start to say things like, I mean, in my head, I still carry this around. 99% of the people who come through my door are lonely and unloved, you know. And or, or, you know, basically that that younger folks, postmoderns, really respond to beautiful things, spiritual things, justice things, right. You know, I was uh, Arthur. Just was overnight, and we were up early watching the news. And Baltimore is blown apart this morning. And and um, you know, he was sort of saying, yeah. and I am too. I can remember the race riots in the sixty. I can remember, I can remember what that was like. Um, just I was young, but I can remember what a what a thing that was. And you, the images flash up, and you really start to see the same images over again. You say to yourself, Come on, really now? You know, forty years, fifty years, we haven't learned anything, right? How does this happen again? So, you know, it's just just very, very interesting. Um, And so you see, you know, this great interest in justice again. What does that mean? But justice without mercy is going to be a difficult thing, man. You, you, You be careful if you want justice because, I mean, pure justice on everybody for everything. It's a dangerous, dangerous proposition. Because when people get in charge, when shifts happen, man... People can be brutal under the guise of justice, so just just be you know be careful. And the church has always been able to temper this, in the post-Constantinian years when the church has had some say. But if the church goes away as having a say in the public square, who's going to say that mercy is important? It's really startling. You probably saw this week. You know this thing about um, there's been this huge debate about you know working on DNA. And have you been following this? Corrections in the womb and all that and then suddenly this paper gets published from China that they've done it a hundred times already. at MIT and Harvard and Stanford, the doctors are all saying, "Hey we don't know what to do here, and there's a couple of different ways to do this. You should be extraordinarily careful when you start playing with somebody's DNA because you don't know how it's going to be passed along you know and then this paper gets the Chinese have done it a hundred times already. you know the whole notion of we were riding home in the car yesterday and. Kirby was kind of scrolling through Facebook stuff, and there was an article by a person who said, Why I'm not pro choice, I'm pro abortion. That's extraordinarily dangerous because, of course, you know, the conversation shifts from no care at all for the little, the least, the lost, the last, right? I mean, on both ends of the spectrum, the most defenseless person, um, you know, the very, very old, but the unborn, they are the most defenseless. And we've just lost sight of that. Uh, we just, we just lost sight of that at both ends of the equation. So, you know, there's so much that needs to be done. And it's, it's, like, it's like we're building the plane as we're flying, right? Because, because there's so much that has to happen, right? You know, somebody has to be a voice for justice and mercy. Things have to be beautiful. You need the respite of the Eucharist. Things have to carry on. We have to love everybody. We need to turn the other cheek yet we need to be protective of other people. To be a Christian means there's so many balls in the air. There's so much going on, right? And if you aren't crystal clear in your head about what has to happen as you walk out the door today, you will end up being as bitter and angry and vengeful as everybody else in the world. And then what's the point, right? So the first exercise in that is to put your eyes up and to really pay attention to other people. And I've sort of cast that for you in this very simple formula of being present, being kind, listening, asking a question and telling a story. What's interesting is that in John 20 that's exactly what Jesus does to Mary Magdalene when he's resurrected from the dead. She's in total despair. She's completely broken. She has all sorts of presuppositions about what the world looks like now, including the people have stolen the body, so Jesus hasn't really risen from the dead. So she had bet the wrong horse and her life is over, and she's broken because she's deeply loved, and now she's been abandoned. She has all these presuppositions that she brings when she turns around and sees the new Adam in this new garden. It's a remarkable thing. So, um, you know, eventually we need to just think about individuals and their specifics, because folks are saved one by one. So I'm, I'm not... what What you have seen me do, or what you haven't seen me do, is cast what is here as a program. What you have seen me try to do is to push you as an individual to work with individuals as you bump into them in your own life. So, with all that, let's read John 20 and then puzzle over this, and we will come back to this next week, okay? So this very interesting, this very, very interesting um, story of Mary Magdalene. She's a remarkable woman. I mean, we hear somewhere else that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. It's just a, I mean, for somebody to have seven demons, this kind of complete number, you know, seven is a big number, seven days in the week. It's the, before the resurrection, seven is the complete number. On, after, after resurrection, eight becomes the complete number. But to say she had seven demons is just to say, like, you wouldn't want to bump into her in an alley on a dark night, okay? I mean, you just, there's just a lot going on here. The first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. This is John 20 verse 1. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay? See so you have this image of she comes? It's dark. You can imagine how spooky this is. This is walking in the graveyard in the dark. Right? This is, you know, this is stuff of zombie television. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. It was early, it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, she went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, often thought to be John, the one whom Jesus loved. So do you get the same notion there that was the one whom Jesus loved? you remember at the Eucharist, the last supper he turns, you know to the one whom Jesus loved, thought to be John. So Peter, usually Peter and John said to them, "Now uh, watch the presuppositions already. She already knows that all she knows for fact is this dark. Spooky, and the stone is rolled away. That's that's the only fact that she has, right? Now here's the story. And so often we do this too. We make up the story according to our presuppositions. So we make assumptions about people. We make assumptions about, you know, um, institutions. We make all sort. We make assumptions about life. This is how how the world works. And we construct a story. We construct a story. Because we live by stories, right? We react to what the story is. So what's the story? Wishbone, I'm dating myself. Yes? You remember Wishbone, good for you. Later we'll talk about, um, I don't know. Well, never mind. Okay, so she ran, Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, she said to him, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. So the pre-supposition is there's evil people about and that Jesus is still dead, right? They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, we don't know where they've laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple. They went toward the tomb. They both ran. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there but did not go in. So let's say it's John. John gets there first. He's faster. He looks inside. But man, he's not going in by himself. right? This is the old thing of when you're in the woods, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the guy that you're with. Right. <laughs> my advice is to hike with somebody slow who has a heavy pack. That's my advice. Okay. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and it's Peter, you know, always the bold one, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying, shrouded her and just went on display. And I make no. Guarantees. I just observe the history, your own presuppositions. Do with him what you will. And the napkin, which had been on his head. So these are the two altar cloths, right? So when you look at the altar today, you have the long cloth that was lying there, the shroud-of-turn kind of cloth that goes up the front and down the back. And then you have a second head cloth. Look up on the altar. There will be a long cloth. And then there'll be the head cloth that sits right under the chalice. There's two cloths there. So the altar talks to you. This is the body and blood of Jesus, the same body and blood that was on the cross, the same body and blood that was wounded, same body and blood that rose from the dead. Okay. So he looks inside. He sees the linen cloth lying and the napkin which had been on his head, so the second cloth not lying with the linen but rolled up and placed by itself, which then runs against the notion that somebody robbed the tomb because no robber sort of folds up the cloths before he leaves, right? So Jesus, a good boy, cleaned up his room before he left. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in. They saw, he saw and he believed. But it's like, he saw and he believed what exactly, right? Right? For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So now that now it's like he saw and he believed that he was gone, that he was stolen, that he wasn't stolen, that he might have been risen from the dead, that the Messiah would. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So, okay, the boys are out of the picture. The women are apparently more insightful. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Right? Hey, people are different. Some people run here and there. You know, some people have to see it. Some people have to go back home and, you know, have have a scotch and a cigarette. Some people need to cry, you know. Some people, some people, right? People are different. Everybody's individual, which means they need to be loved individually. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. And now, hey, this is weird. She saw two angels, which apparently weren't there before. There were two pieces of cloth. Now there are two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, "Hey, why are you crying? Why, I mean, what's, what are the tears all about?" Now, even this, and I didn't do this, but like, here's the thing. They're present. They're kind. They observe. They ask a question, and they don't actually say to her, "Hey, big doof! Didn't you know Jesus was going to rose from the dead? Just like he told you." It's like you see the engagement there. Angels are really smart. It's why you don't mess with angels. It's why you don't mess with demons. Broken angels, right? Angels are another intellectual, another at another intellectual capacity. It's why this is why exorcists don't talk to demons, because you'll always get outsmarted. It's why you don't mess with 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 temptation, because at the end it'll possess you, right? It's why you pray that your guardian angel doesn't take a day off, because you need that. Okay. So they ask a question: Why are you weeping? She says to them, "Look, she's drawn out." Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. This is I just find this incredible because here's the thing. Your resurrected body, if I don't happen to like say hi to you my first day in heaven, don't take it personally. It's just that you look so good shite, I didn't recognize you, man. I mean, you'll probably be toward a dart ball board like all home running, okay? And I'm like, we never had anybody like that at St. John dart ball team. But when it got to heaven, it'll be interesting. I guess my advice to you guys would be bat first. So, um, all right. Turned around, saw Jesus standing. She didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus says to her, now he asks a question too. Hey, why are you crying? What are you looking for? Which I would tell you, that is a fantastic question for almost anybody you know. Why are you crying and what do you want? What is it that you really need or how do you need to be loved? Isn't that remarkable? Jesus knows why she's crying. And Jesus knows what she needs. But he doesn't violate her in any way. She has to get up to speed. The people you're talking to, the people you need to love, they need to get up to speed, right? You need to get up to speed. So do I, by the way, because I can see a little bit of your tired old heart, okay? Just a little bit. Woman, why are you weeping? What do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, which is always so interesting because you get Adam and new Adam injected here into the text. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, hey, if you carried him away... Tell me where you laid him and I'll take him away. She's a fixer. That's nice. I can respect that. Jesus said to her, this is so great, man, Mary. And I'm going to argue next week that she, he tells a story in one word. I mean, you, I mean, you think about Diego over there with his Mary. So it's like, took him three words. He's like, I love you. And the rest is history, is it not? Yes, it is. (laughs) So, I mean, you could tell a story in just a very few words, can you not? I mean, you can. Well, I'm going to argue next week that Jesus tells a story in a single word. Mary, she turned and said to him, Hebrew, Rabboni. She tells the story back, by the way. Teacher, Rabbi, Rabboni. Jesus said to her, hey, don't hold on. I got work to do. Don't hold on and not yet send to the Father, but go to my brothers and say, you know, the guys who couldn't stay around and cry, the guys who had to go home and have a scotch and a cigarette. They got ESPN on, but they're not really watching because they're thinking about something else. That's all in extra text at the bottom of the Greek. (laughs) I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Come on, they weren't that different than you are, okay? They're just like you and all the people that you know, which is partly what makes this so fun. Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples, I've seen the Lord. they said she was crazy. And then she told told them uh, he'd said these things to her. Hey, she told them that he'd told her a story. Right? So look, you have the same thing we've been talking about. You come to people. You're patient with them. You kind of size things up. You stay with them a while. You ask a question. You tell them a story. And then I'll just say this and we'll be done, which is, and then you all relax because the, the Holy Spirit has already got the third article of Luther's small catechism covered. He frankly, apparently, doesn't need any of your help to like close the sale. He's very, very good at that, okay? Take this home, we'll play next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See ya.